this morning to Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 7. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. This is bank holiday weekend, and the weather has picked up, although apparently it's not going to be too clever tomorrow. But they said it wouldn't be too clever on Saturday, and we got a great day without any rain for the fun day, so you never know. Uh, but already summer away, and maybe if you're going somewhere uh, tomorrow, we trust that you'll have a great day. So Matthew chapter 7, and reading from verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, would like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, in the opinion of Jesus, building a house was very similar, at least in principle, to building a life. And the analogy that Jesus uses here in Matthew chapter 7 is very simple and it's very true. Of course, himself, uh, who was a carpenter, uh, would know full well what it takes uh, to build a good, strong, lasting house. And of course, knowing what it takes to build a house, by inference, also knowing what it takes to build a life, because really that's what Jesus is talking about in this illustration. Building a house, but actually building a life. You are building a life. Whether you know it or not, whether you care or not, you are building a life. And it just depends what kind of a life you're building. One that will stand or one that will fall. One that will last or one that will fail. But you are building a life. And Jesus here gives us in this little illustration several things that are essential in building a good house or a good life. First of all, we need a good foundation. No matter how strong your house is, no matter how big it may be or how expensive it may be, if it does not have a good foundation, it will not stand. That's the clear inference that Jesus taught in this story. It will not stand. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus telling the same story. In verse 46, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man building a house, note this, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house, it could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. Now notice here, he dug deep. One of the jobs I had many, many years ago when I was just a young man was working on a building site. And to show you how long ago that was, that was the era when foundations, by and large, for the most part, were dug by hand. Labors. 
had a pickaxe, a spade, and a long-tailed shovel. Forget your JCBs and all that. And they would dig those foundations. And depending how high the building was to be, then that dictated how deep the foundation had to be dug. The higher it went, the deeper it was dug. And it was hard graft. Very, very hard work. I watched those laborers many times and the sweat was blinding them, particularly in the hot sunny days. But it had to be done. There was no other way to do it. It took it right down to the bedrock so that that house could stand. Now, the thing about a foundation is that after the house is built and after the driveway is put in and after the gardens are all laid, you don't see the foundation. It's hid. But that's where all the hard work went to. And without that hidden foundation, that house is not going to stand. It's going to crack. It's going to lean. It's going to drop. All kinds of bad things are going to happen. But if it's a good, solid foundation, then it will stand. Now, our foundation to build our lives as believers in Christ is the rock of His Word. Anything else is shifting sand. This is what Jesus says in Luke 6 and Matthew 7. Whoever hears my sayings and does them, I will show you who he is like. A man building a house. And so the rock of God's word is where we build upon. And so it's vitally important that we do this. In Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Notice what we are built upon. Built upon Christ, but built upon His Word through the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What they taught, which is contained in these books of the Bible. That is what we build our lives upon. And it's sad and it's tragic that so many Christians are not building their lives upon this book. And they ought to be. And the trouble is, when difficult times come, there's a great danger they're going to fall, they're going to collapse because the foundation isn't there. And God wants us to have this foundation. So we ought to begin to know and to read and to study and to find out uh, what we do believe in Second Timothy chapter 2. Paul here is writing uh, to a, a young pastor. And he has some things to say uh, to this young pastor that is important. Look at verse 14 of 2 Timothy 2. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, but to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, uh, there's greater responsibility on a, on a leader in the church 
to understand and to know the truth of God's Word. It is a great responsibility upon me and upon anyone who's a leader in the church to know what they believe. But you ought to know it too. And we ought to be able to teach it to you so that you can get to know the, these things. And so be diligent to show yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, or their message will spread like cancer. Uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And so there is a tremendous responsibility upon those who are leaders in the house of God to teach the word of God and to make it plain and make it clear, make it simple, but also for you then to pick up on that and get to know what you believe. It's so important. Isaiah uh, uh, 40, verse 8, The word of the Lord endures forever. Psalm 119, 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. And that's why if our lives are built upon the word of God and the words of Christ, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, it's going to last, it's going to stand. Paul said, and he in Ephesians 4 and verse 14, that there, were, there was going to be every wind of doctrine. In other words, there would come a time, and it was in Paul's day and even more so in our day, when all kinds of strange doctrines will abound. And you need to be able to know the difference. You need to be able to understand there is a difference, that you just don't believe everything you're told, that you search the Scriptures and find out for yourself and be assured of, your, of what you know and what you're taught. Paul said to Timothy, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. In 2 Timothy 4, he reiterates this uh, again. In verse 1 of 2 Timothy 4, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preachers preach the word. It's all right to have a story or two. It's all right to have some windows to highlight. But preach the word. This is what Paul's saying to Timothy. Preach the word. Above all things, preach the word. Then he goes on to say, Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. 
The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The time is now. We're living in this generation where doctrine is counted as a dirty word, boring, dry, dull, divisive, empty. We're all these things. But Paul didn't believe that. He believed that sound doctrine was a foundation that we need to build our lives upon and we need to know it and understand it and be able to live out its truths. You know, doctrine is not something that's abstract. It's meant to be something that we can live out in our lives. And this is why it's so important to understand and get to know the New Testament especially. You know, Paul, 13, if not 14, of the New Testament books, of those 27 books, were written by the Apostle Paul. And there's the great uh, church epistles. You know, like Romans and Corinthians and so forth, tremendous church epistles that encourages us in church how church life is to be. And then there's the pastoral epistles. I've read from 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. And then there's the prison epistles that Paul penned from prison place, from a prison house. And all of these are unique. And all of these is a revelation of who Christ is and what the church is. And we need to get to know those and understand why he wrote those things and what they mean to us and what they mean to the church today. Otherwise, we just believe anything that comes down the road. And we don't want to be like that. We want to know the truth. The truth will make us free, the Bible says. And so these are things that are sound doctrine. So that is our, the foundation. As long as we have a good, careful, well-laid foundation in, then we can start to build our lives up. Now, it takes time to get the foundation in. And I said, once you get it in, it's hidden, it's underneath. It's not something you see all the time, but it's working underneath, it's holding up the rest of the structure. And the second thing is we need a good plan, a good design, a blueprint, a pattern, specifications. Now, Johnny and Tessa here, they're a newly married couple, and they have just moved into their new home. And, of course, they didn't design architecturally the, the house, uh, obviously, that was done for them. He's not an architect, but he had some leeway uh, inside what to do. So they got together. They decided, well, we want plugs here, and we want a cupboard there, and we want a door there, and we want this and that and the other. And so they put it on this computer and worked the whole thing out and said to the builder, now this is what we would like inside. And they did it for them, didn't they? And so they got the specifications that they wanted, and it looks the way they want it to look. And that's wonderful if you can get to do that. If you have a good plan, and, and how many rooms are we going to have? There's going to be two stories, and where's the kitchen going to be? And, you know, and, and how high do we need those benches? And how many doors, and how many plugs do we need? And all that stuff. Where's the cooker going to be in the microwave? And it's a lot to work out, but if you do it, and you take your time to do it, you're well pleased, because it's, it's to suit you. You're going to live in the house. So you need a good plan to be able to do that. Is it practical? Uh, does it work? Is there order and design in it? Uh, you know, there's a big difference between men and women, isn't there? Uh, you know, women are much more what they see and how it looks and the color of it and the shape of it and men. Does it work? We just want to know, does it work? You know, a woman goes to buy a car. The first thing, I like the color. Well, wait a minute. Is there an engine in this thing? What's the engine like? But I, I love the seating. I love the dashboard. That's good. But what's the engine underneath the bonnet? 
You know, we're, we're so different, aren't we? And, and a good job that we are, isn't it? Because then when you put the two together, there's a good mix between the two. And so you need uh, a, a good plan. Whenever Moses uh, was told by God to build the tabernacle in the wilderness, uh, he was said, see that you make it after or according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. See that you make it according to the pattern that I showed you on the mountain. And if you read in the Old Testament the, the specific commands of God to build his tabernacle and also to build the temple, it's very specific. The measurements were had to be exact and right and the shape and everything about it. God gave them a pattern, gave them an order. He says, now, I give you the pattern. There's the order. Now go and build that. So God gives us a pattern. He gives us an order for our lives. Now he says, now you go and build it. That's my pattern for your life. Now you go and build it and do it right. Do it according to my pattern. And this is what God is saying. Paul writing to Titus, who was a pastor, he said, in all things, Titus 2, 7, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Now again, because Titus was a leader, greater responsibility on him. So not only as Paul saying, not only will you have a, a pattern that your life is built upon, but let your life be a pattern for others to see. You be an example. You be the model. Let others look at your life and see a pattern and an order. That you're not all over the place. That you're not all confused. That you know what you're doing. And you know the word of God. And, and that's the pattern order in a life that others can see. And even as parents, for our children to see, we need to have a pattern and order for lives for kids growing up to see. Now, we know when they get to certain age, they have to make up their own mind whether they're going to follow Christ or whether they're going to this world. But at least we have set a pattern and order. We've given them a model to look to, to see. If they don't get the model, if they don't see a pattern, what chance is there? And Paul said to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 14, let all things be done decently and in order. God is order. Psalm 50, 23, whoever offers praise glorifies me. And to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. So we need a good foundation. We need a good plan. And we need good materials. Uh, I was looking the other day on the internet. I was reading a newspaper on the internet. And it's talking about China. The, the, the growth in China is phenomenal. Uh, the buildings that's going up is just incredible. But the trouble is they're going up too fast. And there's too many shortcuts being made in materials and the structures. And buildings all over the place are collapsing, motorways collapsing, trains collapsing, skyscrapers collapsing. And at some point they're going to have to call a halt and say, listen, we're building too fast, too quick, and we're taking too many shortcuts. We're not putting the materials is not right for this. Because lives are being at risk and people are losing their lives. So we need to make sure that we have the right materials when we go to build. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Again, Paul talks about this. First Corinthians 3, verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers. 
You're God's field. You're God's building. Paul often mixed his metaphors. One minute we're a field, next minute we're a building. But he had lots of illustrations to use and sometimes he lumps them together. Uh, You're God's field. You're God's building according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation and other builds in it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay that is than which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay and straw, each one's work will become clear for the day. The day of judgment will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which is built on it endures, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, we are building this house, this life, with the words that we speak, with the thoughts that we think, but particularly with the deeds that we do, with the works that we do. Did you notice how many times works are mentioned in those few verses that we read there? And one day our works will be judged to see if they were good works, to see if they were solid and dependable, see if there were gold and silver and precious stones, or were they just haywood and stubble that will be burnt up and will suffer loss. And so the materials that we use, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> are very, very important. Do they edify? Do they build up? Think of the materials that God gives us to be able to use to build up our house. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, helping us to build up this life. First Peter 2, 4 and 5, Peter says, Coming to Him, to Jesus, as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, when you read that, it sounds a, a bit of a dichotomy. It sounds totally opposite. Living stone. Living stone. And yet Paul puts the two together, or Peter puts the two together and says, you are living stones. What does he mean by that? Well, it simply means this. It means that you are pliable, yet you are solid. You're solid. You're strong. You're solid, but yet you're pliable that God can still work with you and still mold and shape your life. And so you're pliable, yet solid. You're always abounding, yet remaining steadfast. And of course, as Jesus said, to be harmless as doves and yet to be wise as serpents. And so there's, there's this kind of twin thing going on. And these are the materials that God wants to, us to have in our lives. And when, whenever 
Paul especially talks about a building being fitted together, like, like stones or bricks being fitted together. Uh, it would be lovely if in practice that that always happened. Wouldn't it be lovely if, if everybody in here all totally fitted together neatly and nicely? What a strong building we could build up if everybody was just fitted together. But it doesn't always happen that way, unfortunately. Somebody years ago wrote a book called Building with Bananas. <laughs> be nice if every stone was lovely shaped, you know, symmetrical, and all could be fitted together. But he says it's building a church like building with bananas. Everybody's bent out of shape. Uh, and lots of times that's like that. You know, and every one of us has been out of shape at some point, haven't we? You know, you've been going along great and you've been fitting in and everything's going well and suddenly something happened, you're bent out of shape and you're moaning and groaning. Okay, see him, he see her, he see them, he see that, see that place. And now you're all bent out of shape like a banana. And it's hard to build with bananas, isn't it? But if everybody's fitting together nicely and working together, and that's what Kathy was saying earlier about her fun day yesterday, her family fun day, how that people work together as one, as a unit together. Now it was tough and it was hard and it was a lot of effort. But boy, it pays off when you do it right, doesn't it? Everybody works together. That's why the Bible talks about having unity in the body of Christ. When we're united together, we're so much stronger together than apart, aren't we? And so we need good materials and we need to be a good builder. Again, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 and 11, he says, according to the grace of God that it was given to me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. Where did Paul learn his trade as a wise master builder? Hmm? Where did this man get the revelation to be able to write 13 or maybe 14, depending if he wrote Hebrews or not, books of the New Testament? What a revelation of Christ of the church. And he got that because he was alone with Christ for a long, long time. Met with Christ. Had a revelation from him. Now we're not going to get that revelation. This is the revelation. We're going to get the word of God. This is the complete book here. Nothing's going to be added to this. And we can't take anything away from it. But if we spend time in this word with Christ seeking his face then what is already written, what Paul was revealed to him, will be revealed to us. It will become clear to us. You ought to know why Jesus had to have a virgin birth. If somebody asks you that, could you tell them? If somebody says, well, why could he not just be born normal like everybody else? You need to know that. There was a reason for that. You need to know why Christ went to the cross to die for us. Why could God just not save us without his son having to die on the cross and pay for the penalty for our sins? Why, why had that had to happen? You need to know those things. You need to think about it and know it so that if somebody asks you, you'll be able to give a reason of the hope that is within you. This is the foundational things that we need to build on. You need to know that Christ is coming back and why he's coming back. We don't know when, and there's an argument how, but we need to know he is, and this is why he is coming back. All of these things was given by revelation to Paul, to the church, 
so that we could know these things. And when you do, you're much stronger. So that when every wind of doctrine comes and all the stupid nonsense sometimes it does filter down in church, that you'll be able to spot it. Now they tell me, I, I don't know, I, I've never worked in a bank, I've never worked on the tills or the tellers, I've never done that. But they tell me that because they're counting every day, that they can feel a fake immediately without even looking at it, just the feel of it. They know, oh, there's something wrong with that because they know what the good's like. And if we know what the good is like and what it feels like and what it is and we have seen the authenticity of it, we know that's the genuine article there. Then when the fake comes, we'll pick up on it. It won't feel right. won't handle right. won't fit right. And so, to be a good builder, you need to know these things. Psalm 127, 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. In Hebrews chapter 3, we see that, well, we should look at that, Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was also faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, insomuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. God is in the house building business. The old housing business and our country is really in dire trouble, isn't it? Lots of big companies has gone out of business because people can't afford to build homes uh, because of the economic squeeze. But aren't you glad that God is not under those economic conditions, that he's still building his church, he's building his house, and daily he's adding bricks to it. And he's building up a holy temple for him to dwell in. And we are those living stones that he's building up. But he is a good builder. I remember years ago, again, when I worked on, on building sites, I worked on building houses in, in Carrickfergus and Glengormley and Ballyclare and Antrim. And I remember one particular house. It was an architect's house. If you've never, any of these guys, Johnny North or Johnny Brady, if you've ever worked at an architect's house, <laughs> You can't take any shortcuts. You can't pull the wool over his eyes. It has to be done exactly as he has laid out. And that guy, until that thing was finished, it was just the brickwork we were doing, he was there every day inspecting it, looking down in the cavities. And it used to be the little tie irons that joined the, the, the cavity wall, the two walls together. You know, it was, it was a little metal thing with a little twist in the middle so if the, if, if the water seeped through the the wall, it would get a little twist and it would drop down in the cavity so it wouldn't come right through the wall. 
And of course, if a bit of mortar hit the middle of that little tie iron, as they call them, then it would travel right over that and into your house and be a big patch inside your wall. Well, he had a torch out every day after we were finished shining that torch down and making sure those things, he was a nightmare to work for. But he wanted it right. He designed it. He was going to build it. He was making sure he was a good builder, all right. So we had to toe the line. And God's like this. Shines a torch in us and makes sure that we're doing it right, doesn't he? So how, God, how does God help us build this spiritual house? By his word. Acts 20, 32. His word is able to build you up. By his wisdom. Proverbs 24, 3. Through wisdom, a house is built. Sometimes you have to say, God, give me your wisdom. You young married couples all starting out. Let me tell you, you need a lot of wisdom. A lot of wisdom. I mean, it's a big learning curve, isn't it? You all find that out. Right, now be careful what you nod to now. But it is, it truly is. And you learn as you go on. Sally and I are 45 years. We're still learning some things, aren't we, darling? We are indeed. <laughs> You've got to learn some things. <clears throat> some people never learn, but you have to learn. By His grace, Acts 20, 32, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up. Thank God for His grace. <clears throat> <clears throat> when you make those mistakes and you fall flat in your face, thank God for His grace that picks us up and forgives us, dusts us down and gets us going again. And of course, by His Spirit, 1 Corinthians 14 and 4, He who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies Himself. Edifies means builds up. A building is an edifice, something that's built up. So when you speak in those unknown tongues, you Pentecostals, you are building yourself up spiritually. <clears throat> Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And so he builds us up by his word, by his wisdom, by his grace, by his spirit. Then finally, <clears throat> the cost involved. Luke 14. This is the last. The cost involved. Again, you young couples getting married, you're starting out and building up your home. You've discovered already it costs a bob or two, doesn't it? You never knew how much it was going to cost until you're going to buy some tiles, you're going to buy some blinds, you're going to get some extra lights in. Boy, it costs some money, doesn't it? So in Luke chapter 14, now let's read in verse 25. We'll close in a moment just. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned to them, said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, Yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now those are very, very strong words indeed. The word hate there is a Hebrew idiom. 
In other words, it's put in the extreme negative to really get your attention. If you read the same scriptures in Matthew 10, 37, it softens it a little bit better that you can understand because we think of hate as, I hate your guts. He's not saying that. In Hebrews 10, 37, if anyone, if anyone doesn't love me more than his father, his mother, his brother, his sister, so forth. That's what he's saying. That's saying that you should hate your mother, your father, your brother, or sisters. Because God's against that. But we ought to love him more than we even love them. In fact, he says, if you can't do that, you cannot be my disciple. Now that's a very powerful challenge, isn't it? So coming to Christ and living for Jesus is not just a little thing you do and a little prayer you pray and a little thing you say. You've got to think, this is going to cost me something. I'm going to have to be able to put everybody, so I'm going to have to be able to put Christ before everybody else, including my whole family, if necessary. And many one has to do that. Now, we're fortunate living in this country where the cost of that's not so great in most cases. But other countries, the cost may be your life. At least it may be your job. Your family may kick you out and turn against you. They may say you have blasphemed Allah. And it could cost you your very life. So when Jesus said this, he knew this was a biggie. This was something that was very, very serious indeed. This is part of the cost. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The man who's carrying a cross is going to his death, isn't he? Just death to self, to our ways what we want, except it fits in his plans. He cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet he who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That doesn't mean you have to give everything up. But it means we have to renounce it if necessary. If God was to ask us to give it up, would we give it up? And Jesus said, if the answer is no, you cannot be my disciple. Remember the young man who came to Jesus? And he says about the Ten Commandments, all these I've kept from my youth up. And then Jesus really tested him. He was a rich young ruler. He says, sell what you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And he put the head down. And he slunk away. He couldn't do it. 
He wasn't willing to be able to do it. And so, it's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your lifetime. Because building this is a lifetime job. And it's going to cost you your life, your self-life. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. See, the Christian life is the opposite of this life. You have to give to receive. You have to die to live. It's total opposite. Entirely different mindset. And you can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit within you that gives you the grace and the power to do it. So you are building a house today. I'm building my house. You're building your house. What kind of a house are we building? Do we believe it's going to last? By the grace of God. Are we building the best we know how? By the grace of God. Then when the storms do come, and they do come, and the storms beat vehemently against the house, if it's built solidly on the rock of God's word, here's the promise, it shall stand. Amen? Tony is going to come, aren't you? And he's going to take us in this time of communion. If you know and love Christ,